is Tuesday morning Nickelback time on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everybody's having a great Tuesday. Lots of good stuff as usual during this NFL and college football season. Andrew Kramer will will be with me in just a minute here. To break down film of Vikings versus Seahawks, a great game for Clint Kubiak, the offensive coordinator, a really good game for Kirk Cousins and the offensive line. We will break down just how they were able to out-scheme Seattle and win their first game of the year. I'll be joined, too, by Keith Rashad for my least favorite team is my favorite team. Finally, some good news for the Vikings. And Randy Johnson after that talking Gophers. Woof. What happened against Bowling Green? Randy will try to help explain it, even if he doesn't fully understand it. Back here on Daily Delivery, Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, writes about all sorts of good stuff and does a film review every week. And he's helping us out by giving us a podcast segment um, related to his film review that you can find Star Tribune, startribune.com. Andrew, I want to talk this week and you're, you're writing this week about Clint Kubiak and kind of what he's done these first three games, particularly these last two games, um, to kind of get the you know get the Vikings over you know thirty plus points both of those games and you know schematically what what are we seeing from from him in terms of how he's managing this offense and, and getting them really humming right now? Yeah, and specifically, I wanted to look back at the Seahawks game of how is he getting as much out of the offensive line as he seemed to have getting. Kirk Cousins is not getting sacked. The strip sacks certainly aren't happening. And when Kirk is under pressure, like as has happened a few times, he's still able to evade and, and make the smart play. So a lot of it is Kirk, but a lot of it is how they're structuring this offense. Clint Kubiak's a 34-year-old first-time play caller. There was massive question marks going into the season of, is he going to be able to pick right up where his father left off with that top five offense in terms of yardage last year? Uh, and it looks like it. We, we all know how good their skill position players are and I really like how Clint is putting these guys in position to, to play. And it seems like Kirk is just so comfortable in what he's doing with Clint. And they seem to be on the same page of what they want out of the offense. And that's helping Kirk make clear, decisive reads, knowing where he's going with the ball, getting it out quickly. And that is all part of the offensive line's improvement. Not only are they not getting penalized now, they're, they're playing clean football. They are making marginal improvements, but they're still a pretty average group. And, and you are seeing... Um, much quicker release time from Kirk. The the route patterns are a lot shorter. They're just trying to always take a profit as opposed to maybe risking getting into third and 10 or third and 15. They're not afraid to take the short play right in front of them. And that's helping them kind of stay on schedule, uh, even without Dalvin Cook in that game. And it, it has gone back to helping that O-line because you start getting the screen game going where you're getting these lighter offensive linemen out of the move against defensive backs, against linebackers. You saw it work really, really well against Seattle. Yeah, there was that. There was. It feels like they're they're still running a decent amount of of play action, mixing you know run and pass. And I thought they did that effectively against Seattle. They run a lot of kind of jet motion. Different. It feels like there's just some wrinkles that he's maybe thrown in more than we've seen in past years. What what are you know, as you think about particularly that Seattle game? Are there are there things that you think he's done specifically differently? you know, formation wise or whatever it is, like you said, either to help the offensive line or to just, you know, give that, give the offense a little bit more variety. So the defenses aren't, you know, predicting exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. There's some of that certainly where they're keeping them off balance. Um, there's, there's always the joke of, they always like to run it on second and 10. Um, they're still doing plenty of that, but I think in terms of how they're running the ball, it's not just these consistent, 
okay, we're going to go hit the same kind of uh, counter sweep and fullback lead uh, downhill. They're they're adjusting these things and they're they're setting up a run one way, running it uh, two three series later with minor adjustments. I, one thing they've done is adjust protections really well after that Cincinnati game and. Part of that was not just the plan. It was the players not knowing, not being prepared for what the Bengals did in that season opener. But since then, the Cardinals and the Seahawks have basically copied a lot of what the Bengals did in that game that was so successful against the Vikings in terms of putting down a five-man defensive front, trying to isolate the interior three offensive linemen for the Vikings, and then just getting those guys three one-on-ones and then beating them because we all know the interior of the Vikings line is suspect. Um, The Vikings have adjusted to that. They saw that. On Tyler Conklin's touchdown, the first score for the Vikings, they saw that exact same front where the defensive ends try to occupy the tackles and the drop into coverage and basically turns into an eight-man coverage where Kirk has very limited options of where to go with the football while his three worst linemen basically are isolated up front. And what the Vikings did was they basically just kept more in protection. They kept an extra tight end, Ben Ellison, who has really come on for them as a blocker, serving – he reminds me of Rhett Ellison actually from five, six years ago with this team – they, they kept him in, and they've been doing more two tight end sets with him, not with Chris Herndon. And that has allowed them to kind of basically attach one of the a tight end to either tackle, um, provides them with extra help. So then they had actually a four on three advantage in, on the interior that allowed Kirk to stand in the pocket and then rifle the touchdown to Tyler Conklin from 15 yards out. That's the kind of adjustment they made from just a few weeks ago when they were seeing the same front and Kirk was getting sacked in the red zone. So that tells you that you got a coaching staff that is anticipating these things. They have counters to it. Um, and Kirk is playing confidently in that system. A couple more things. He sure seemed like Kirk cousins. That was about as well as I've seen him play and about as confident, you know, even if just projecting over a TV and I know that he said it, you know, in the post game too, but in some of his teammates did too, but it just, he looked different to me than what I've seen in, in some, some recent years. It felt like Kind of felt like 2018 Cousins. Again, that wasn't a, a successful year necessarily for the Vikings. They went 8-7-1, but he played a certain way that year, played with kind of an edge that year that reminded me of, of the Seattle game, and they had the outcome in that game that was successful. Sure looked like he had a lot of open space over the middle of the field on a lot of those routes. Was that a function of, in your mind, was that play design? Was that, was that how Seattle defends kind of in the back? How, how did they get so many kind of clean looks in the middle of the field? Yeah, Seahawks defender said after the game, I, I wasn't listening in, but I saw the quote, uh, we got our bleep schemed off or something like that. He was basically saying that they were so outcoached um, that the route patterns downfield were basically destroying them. Um, that there was, as you, if anybody watched the game, saw Justin Jefferson running wide open multiple times, Adam Thielen, Tyler Conklin, all these guys. Kirk had such a prolific day in part because the guys he were throwing to was just wide open. And I think a lot of that had to do with Seattle basically busting their coverages, miscommunicating, um, double covering one guy and leaving another one wide open, all these different outcomes where it, it basically Kirk just had to make the simple read and get the ball out on a lot of those plays. Now he still made just incredible throws like the third and five yep. at the very end where um, a blitz is coming right at him in his face. And he admits after the game, I didn't even really see KJ Osborne. I just saw a purple blur throw the ball where he's supposed to be. That's a trust that you're seeing in these wide receivers, not just Jefferson and Thielen, but also KJ Osborne, also Tyler Conklin, whom Kirk has worked with for now three years or four years. It might even be with his fourth year here. So 
you're seeing just this kind of total comfort level with not just the offense and what he's being asked to do, but the players around him. And that's being shown in some of the easy passes he's making, but also the really difficult ones that he had to make on Sunday. Last thought. This is a league of adjustments. I'm sure, you know, Cleveland probably might be the best defense they've played so far. I think we thought highly of Arizona coming in, but they handled them pretty well. Can they, is this sustainable or do you think they're going to have to keep kind of punching and counterpunching to figure out their way you know, to keep this sustained? Yeah, I think you're going to face much tougher defenses. That's, that's for sure. Uh, you're not going to face Seattle's secondary, which at one point between the third and fourth quarter, I thought they were going to start fighting on the field. You had them yelling at each other between plays. It was that bad. Um, it just wasn't going well. So I think you're going to face tougher opponents. Miles Garrett coming off however many sacks he had for the Browns um, uh, against whoever it was they were playing last week. Um, I think as a team, they ended up having nine sacks or something like that. It's just incredible. So they played this the is Bears, to, right? They sacked Justin Fields nine times, right? That's right. That's right. So this is going to be a much tougher challenge against um, the Browns. Although from what I'd seen, their defensive line wasn't doing that great before that game. So, but maybe it was a get right game for them. Um, is it sustainable? I think a lot of it's going to come down to whether or not Kirk Cousins continues to play this way, because we have seen Kirk Cousins play much differently, but in his last 10, 11 starts, basically going back to the middle of last year, after that Falcons game, he was able to turn a switch and start playing very comfortably, very well for that team. And, and they could have won a lot of games in the second half, had that defense and kicking game been good. And he's carried it over to this year. And if he can continue this streak without turning into as, as we call it, bad Kirk. Um, yes, because if Dalvin cook can return and stay healthy, you see Madison's a, a worthy backup and this defense, I think, is going to come together and eventually stop busting so many coverages at times. So um, it, to me, it falls on the quarterback's shoulders, as it should. Good stuff, Andrew. Read all of his film review, starttribune.com. That will be live sometime Tuesday morning. And, uh, yeah, we'll see big one on Sunday against Cleveland. Can they even their record and kind of continue the shift in narrative, not just on the season, but on their offense and offensive line as well? Andrew made a lot of really great points. I think Kirk Cousins looks very comfortable right now, and whether that continues will tell a lot of the story of this season. Cleveland certainly will be a good test, ranking number seven right now in Pro Football Focus's defensive grades. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Another Tuesday staple of daily delivery, Tuesday morning Nickelback, we like to call it. My least favorite team is my favorite team, Keith Rashad. We've had a lot of bad things to talk about the last couple of weeks. Suddenly they're uh, maybe your favorite team for at least three hours on Sunday this past week, or however long it took you to watch the game fast. Um, certainly a much more pleasant experience watching them win 30 to 17 gets to start. I'll just ask you first, what were your, what, what were your thoughts when it was 17 to seven Seattle and how, how surprised are you that we got to 30 to 17 by the end? Well, I mean, this is a family podcast, so I don't think I can express the thoughts that I was having at 17 to seven, but uh, I mean, it wasn't good. It was looking exactly like, what we had seen the first two weeks in many respects. And so, I mean, they, they looked awful. The defense looked awful. I'm still not sure that the defense is that much better. 
but I mean, a wins, a wins better than the loss. Right. So it, I mean, that's what I've been, which, told. which by the way, is kind of like the ethos of being a Vikings fan. So like, well, wins better than loss. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, they won. I guess. Yeah. Uh, they played well though. And I, I thought it was, I think there were two critical elements to a uh, three, I should say three critical elements to the turnaround. One, they got there was it was 17 7 Seahawks and looked like the Vikings were going three and out. Then they got that penalty, a third down penalty on Seattle. Defensive holding. It was, I think it was a fair call, but you know, sometimes you get away with that. The drive extends, they go all the way down, they score. Seattle had missed a field goal right before that, I think. So, you know, then the Vikings score at going into the break. Now, and that had been kind of a sore subject for them in the first two weeks, right? The Cincinnati scored twice right before halftime the other day and came and scored right out of halftime. Arizona got some late points before halftime. This time they were able to control the clock, get some, get, get the touchdown and come out of the break and get a field goal. Third key element was, I think it was, I don't know when it was, if it was halftime or when it was, but at some point they made it illegal for Seattle to run the ball. And that was helpful. Yeah. I think that was the, the most helpful part, right? I, am not convinced that this defense is any better. And what's, what's interesting about it, Ray, is that you and I have talked about this before, right? During the course of our lifetime as Vikings fans, we have seen record setting offenses, right? Yeah. 98 baby. And we have seen record setting defenses. Yeah. Right. Williams wall. And uh, we have, but we have never seen those two things happen anywhere close to each other in the same time. Certainly not in the same season. Like right. 2017 was as close as I think we got to an offense that was humming efficiently and a defense that was playing really well. But that was a Case Keenum team. It was it felt like it could fall apart at any minute. Right. Case Keenum would heave the ball with all of his might. And somebody would catch it from in purple. <laughs> and, uh, and Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen would bail him out nearly every time. Right. And, and so I wouldn't I mean, that wasn't a that wasn't a great offense. That was an offense that was helped by two great players bailing out a quarterback who was had a nice year, right? Yeah. So we've never we've never seen the the pieces line up in the same way, so that they have that team that can can kind of do a little bit of everything, right? And I think we are headed in the exact same direction with this team, right? The offense is amazing. The ship's Absolutely. passing in the night again. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, but this defense is atrocious. And like, uh, you know, when Seattle decided that it was illegal to run the ball anymore, which is weird. It's like a staple of football for hundreds of years. Like it yeah. should be legal, but I don't know. They made it, they made it illegal for like half of one game, which was weird. It was very weird. And, and so then what happened was, is that Mike Zimmer and his defense didn't have to pay attention to that aspect of the game, which made it easier for them to concentrate on the other things that they were doing. When Seattle was running the ball, they were going up and down the field. And it's just, it's baffling to me why they just gave that up. There, there must be some reason. I don't understand what it is, but things got a lot easier because Seattle made it a lot easier for this team. And so I'm, I'm just, I think we are stuck in a situation where we're going to have this fun, amazing offense and Kirk Cousins playing at the level that he's playing, having his uh, career year, perhaps a career year for this guy, right? And and they're going to waste Kirk Cousins' career year with a defense that's still pretty, pretty bad. 
You know, I would, I agree that I'm still not sold on the secondary beyond Patrick Peterson. The cor- the coverage from the corners is still worrisome. Linebacker depth is not great. I think the front four is maybe the, the difference I would say between this year and last year. Now last year's front four, you know, just nothing really going. Cause you had um, Pierce opt out. You had Hunter out for the whole year. Both those guys are here. Now you signed Dalvin Tomlinson. You've got Sheldon Richardson as a reserve defensive tackle. You brought in Everson Griffin. I think the front four has shown that it's significantly better than it was last year, but you're right that that back seven Kendricks is still playing at a really high level. Harrison Smith still playing at a high level, but everybody else there's question marks, even, even though I think Nick vigil has done a pretty good job. Like you still don't have Anthony Barr. You're still, you know, Bashad Breland hasn't had a great year to say the least. And your depth at corner is, is shaky. So I think you're right that we're still waiting to see like, is this, and I saw, I thought coming into the year that if this was going to be like a team that could truly contend that the defense had to be better than the offense, that, that I didn't think this was like an offense that could just go and win 11 or 12 games just by being a really good offense. Like, I think that's, I think it's a very good offense, but I don't think it's ever going to be like a top three offense. I think it can be like a top eight offense. And that's not an offense that's, that can disregard everything the defense is doing and win games 38, 30, just willy nilly. I feel like they are going to need their defense to be better. And I'm, I think you're right. I'm not sure how much better they are except for that front four. Right. So there are two reasons. There are two reasons why somehow some goofball professor from living in North Carolina gets to be on a podcast, a twin cities podcast, right? One reason is because I've known you for almost 35 years. Yes. And you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of tapes. Oh, oh yes. Oh (laughs) yes. And and the other reason is because I wrote a book called my least favorite team is my favorite team about the, the Vikings. Right. If I were to write another book about the Vikings, I think the title would be Moments of Competency, right? <laughs> okay. Moments of Competency. And so that, that just kind of reminds me of where the defense is at right now. You are absolutely right. It is the, the front four, when they can get the pressure, turn that defense into something that feels close to legitimate, right? Close to, to good. When they can, when they have those moments of competency, right, it's fun to, to watch and they can occasionally get off the field in a third down situation, right? When they don't have those moments of competency, right, the rest of that defense, exactly as you say, gets exposed again and again. And when Seattle had enough good sense to mix things up and, and keep the Vikings yeah. a little bit more off guard and, and not let them just throw a pass rush at Russell Wilson, then, you know, they had success. But when they decided that running the ball was uh, going Illegal. to be the, the death of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Illegal. Then, then it was weird. That, it was. And that was, that was the end of, of that. And so it's just, uh, I still don't have a whole heck of a lot of hope for where this season's going to end up, but you know, it was a win. It was a win. Um, let's wrap things up here. Talking about the Vikings. Wonder, you know, I don't think Seattle's all that good. I think you know they've had a reputation of being good. I don't think they're all that smart. And they don't think they're all that smart either. That's for sure. They still have Russell Wilson. They've still got skill. Their defense has been just decimated. The the, op- the middle of the field was just wide open for Kirk Cousins to throw to. And, and to his credit, 
He made some big time throws. I thought he played. That was as sharp. I feel like as I've seen him play, he's he's made some. He's had some better, maybe even some better games statistically. But in terms of sharpness, just in terms of like, seemed like every ball was decisive. Every every read looked like it was with a purpose. That was about as good as I can remember him playing in a single game. That said, I don't think Seattle's all that good. The real test now is, can you replicate it? Detroit. Cleveland's better. Cleveland's better than Seattle. Cleveland, it was weird as it is okay, to think about that. I like, not going to acknowledge Detroit. I, I Detroit, yeah, Detroit's not any good. I mean, Detroit should have won against Baltimore. They, Detroit gave up a 66-yard field goal to lose <laughs> that doinked off the crossbar like after Baltimore converted a fourth and 19. Like, it was so Detroit. You know, uh, um, the, the world the world has a crazy way. Every time I think that things are, are really terrible and at their worst, the world has a way of reminding me that it could be worse. Right. Yeah. It could be. I could be rooting for the Detroit Lions. You could be playing for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> that would be even worse. Yes. You could be the owner of the, at least you'd have money if you were the owner of the Detroit Lions. But yeah, it's, yeah. So they're, they're 0-3. The Bears don't look very good. Justin Fields was awful yesterday. So, but, you know, Cleveland coming up here, that's, that's a legitimate team. That's the kind of the Kevin Stefanski comes back here. If you win that game, then you're two and two. Even if you lose that game, I, th- I feel like Detroit after that and then at Carolina, no offense to your, your home state team now, but I feel like after beating Seattle, there is at least a path to get to the bye at three and three, which again, it's not, that's not what you aspire to, but after you start 0-2, that feels like you've kind of at least gotten things to a point where you can manage them in the second half of the year and think about the playoffs. So but, you know, part of that is predicated on winning your home games. Like if you lose that one, then you're going to have to go and win at Carolina and still take care of Detroit, which, again, not automatic based on what we saw against Baltimore. So do you think yesterday's game was fool's gold or is this the start of something great, Keith? I think that this is the start of another season that's just going to twist in the wind, almost like last year right? That I can, I can envision a scenario in which they crawl back into it enough to get your hopes up. And man, if they just beat Chicago. In the, in the hunt graphic in week 16, Sunday night football. (laughs) Exactly. Near the bottom. Where they, where they have lived for who knows how long. Vikings are seven and eight still in the hunt. Still in the hunt. Right. That's right. And so that's exactly what it seems to be playing out as right because a team that makes the playoff a team that has legitimate aspirations wins those first two games right and by losing those first two you you put yourself in the in the hunt graphic yes for the rest of the season i agree well at least for a week they were close to being people's favorite team we'll see what the story is next week Thanks always for talking to me talking it through in a calm rational way and i still don't understand why they made running illegal well, I don't understand that either, but at least we're not talking about that Gophers game. Ooh. Yikes. Randy Johnson joins me here on Daily Delivery, as he usually does on Tuesdays, talk Gopher football. Uh, Randy, last week we barely touched on Bowling Green, just basically saying this should be a walkover game, talking, talking more about what can the Gophers kind of do is to, to tune up for Big Ten play. What happened? On Saturday, 14-10, Bowling Green, victory. I've got some specific concerns, but I want to hear from you first. Like, what what was that? What did we, what did we just witness? I believe the Falcons didn't get that memo about rolling over for the Gophers. No. 
No, they they, they played a uh, – and it's not like they played a perfect game. Bowling no. Green. They were they like two for 13 on third down. They got turnovers. Yeah. It wasn't like they played like this perfect, we got to beat them game. No, the Gophers just just played an incredibly bad game in pretty much uh, all facets except for the defense. The defense played well enough to win that game. Um, I'll put them in a good position with uh, Mariano Sori Marin's interception to cash in more than the three points that they got uh, in the first quarter. Um, yeah, they just could not move the ball. Well, and that leads to my biggest specific concern. I mean, aside from, well, maybe we should start with the game still. P.J. Fleck, you know, did take the blame, saying it's all on me, essentially. I can't remember what the exact quote was, but some, you know, whether it was preparation or in-game choices that he made, including going forward on fourth and one against a very inferior opponent and kind of injecting some life into that offense, um, not his best game, maybe his worst game as a gopher coach. I would say, yeah, right up there, if, if, if there's another one, I don't quite remember it, but uh, this was uh, this was pretty bad. Uh, basically, yeah, that, that fourth down call backfired. I understand his reasoning for it, but uh, the, the risk-reward in my th- thoughts were it's too much against that opponent. You're giving them too much of a, uh, um, a lift. Um, and also the, the second Bowling Green touchdown uh, that turned out to be the winner came after a uh, missed 52-yard field goal attempt. So they they got uh, Falcons got a, a big boost out of uh, a couple of failures on the Gophers' part there. Um, so that's um, and then you look back at you know three turnovers over from Tanner Morgan, um, the the fourth quarter drive where uh, Bowling Green gets it extended by a roughing the punter penalty on the Gophers and a um, fourth and five field goal attempt that that was missed. They get new life on that after uh, defensive tackle lines up over the center, which is a no-no. Evidently, it was pretty tight uh, where he lined up, but uh, they called it, so you know it counts as a penalty. So yeah, and it's yeah the special teams, but the biggest thing, like I was saying, that the biggest thing I, I took from that game is I am very worried about the offense at this point, specifically Tanner Morgan. I mean, he had this great. 2019 season but again in 2019 he was throwing to Tyler Johnson and uh, Rashad Bateman that's a pretty good tandem two guys who should have long careers on Sundays you know Tyler Johnson already has done some stuff in the NFL I think Bateman would be too if he hadn't unfortunately gotten hurt um, before the start of this season his receiving core is certainly not the same as it was that said that kind of game what would he throw for 59 yards had three turnovers including interceptions on the last two drives I mean, it again, he's a guy who's got tons of experience. You would think that this is, you know, this should be a strength. He's regressed to my to my mind, you know, since 2019. 2020 wasn't great. He had his moments. 2020 hasn't been or 2021 hasn't been great either. Would you imagine there is at least the the hint of a a quarterback change, if not next week, then at some point this season, if this continues? I would say if this continues, yes. I, they would definitely have to look at it. Uh, post game, uh, PJ uh, didn't you know didn't say that they were considering that. Uh, but I think you have to look look at his, uh, his stats and look at some of the throws that were off. Um, yeah, it, the one thing you look back to nineteen, he, he had those two options, and then he had uh, Chris Altman Bell as the third option, a, a very good one. Uh, uh, yesterday or uh, Saturday, they did not have Altman Bell for they only had him for two plays, um, so that that uh, made it even more difficult. Um, 
the uh, but, but Tanner definitely has regressed. Um, I wonder if he's if getting used to the Mike Sanford Jr. as the offense coordinator uh, versus when when he had uh, Kirk Sharaka. If that's a that's a a big part of the uh, the problem. Um, basically, he's he's just off, and they don't throw that much anymore compared to uh, 2019. Just looking at at his numbers, uh, you know, 13 passes on Saturday. Uh, 17 at Colorado, uh, 25 against Ohio State, where he threw for 205 yards. But that's that's basically uh, you got to go back to uh, uh, last year's game against Purdue to find another 200 plus yard passing game. It just didn't seem like they trusted the passing game either, because in the fourth quarter when they're trailing, you know they're embarking on this like slow kind of ponderous drive that ends up with a punt. You know another you know decision that maybe. You know, they did get the ball back. So, you know, you can you can say the logic there wound up working. Um, but, you know, it was a long, not not even long in yards, but, you know, made you know, made it 20, 30 yards in like four minutes. It was more like a more like a drive you want when you're up seven than down four. And they just didn't seem like they really trusted him necessarily. And, you know, maybe maybe with good reason, because he he threw two interceptions on their last two drives, one of them kind of desperation. But one of them, you know, where he has a chance to erase all the bad stuff and say, okay, we've, we've been awful all day, but we're going to go down and score a touchdown. I'm going to win 17, 14. He throws a pick on that drive. And that's just, you know, whether it's offensive line being not as good as we thought, and they were bad in that game or his regression, it, that's a, it's a concern when you're that one dimensional on offense, especially when your, your star running back is out for the year. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's becoming a problem. Um, you know, they, they did receive production out of Trey Potts, but they, they wasted his 54-yard run that uh, got him out of bad field position. It just seems like right, right now they they only have one offensive way to win a game, and that's the ball control running game. Uh, they need to find uh, another way, uh, or you know, teams are just going to make them play left-handed. And that that just isn't working. And that leads to my last thought. Now, if there's a silver lining, and you mentioned this in your follow-up story, your insider. So it wasn't a Big Ten game, right? Bowling Green, not in the Big Ten. Uh, they're in the MAC. They hadn't won a, uh, a FBS game since 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. This is, you know, so it, it, it counts in terms of, hey, you know, bowl projections, things like that. But in terms of trying to win the West, they, they didn't drop another Big Ten game. They still have a chance. And Purdue, not a great team. You know, whatever you thought about the Gophers going into the week after that shutout, has largely been erased. That said, the opportunity is still there. The question is, how much have you lost belief in that opportunity based on what you saw Saturday? Yeah, I, you know, I, I can't imagine the, the fan base thinks they're going to run the table, uh, beat Iowa, and uh, you know, win the Big Ten West. I, it, you know, when you see what how they played against Bowling Green, you know, a team that was expected to finish last in its division in the MAC. Um, you know, maybe they're not quite that bad, but it's still a team the Gophers should beat. Um, and, you know, even if they play bad, they should be able to beat that team. Now, yeah, they, going forward, yeah, they could, they can, the schedule, um, you know, might not be as soft as might have looked uh, in the Big Ten going forward. That now that we don't, you know, we have questions about uh, how good the Gophers are, um, it's, it's just, they're just going to have, they just have no room for error right now. Yeah, no room for error, but plenty of errors on Saturday. We'll see, though. Again, you know, it's, it's it's such an up and down thing. The week before, we're talking about a thirty-point road win against a you know a Power Five opponent, and now we're talking about losing at home on homecoming. Homecoming is a thirty-plus point favorite, so 
we have no idea what to expect next week. And that's, uh, I guess that's the beauty of football. Randy Johnson, good stuff. We'll do this again next week. All right. Okay. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Always appreciate talking to Randy Johnson covers the gopher football team. Does a great job of it. I'll be curious to see how the rest of the season plays out. What a weird two weeks it was for the gophers. And they're probably looking at their schedule thinking, well, we got some winnable games here. Purdue, a bunch of other teams that aren't great right now on the Big Ten schedule before it gets harder with Iowa. You know, Wisconsin still, in theory, should be a good a good matchup. But I'm sure a lot of their teams, too, are looking at the Gophers and saying, well, what is this team? Maybe that's a team that we can beat on our schedule as well. Guess that is why they play the games. I don't know. Maybe that's that's probably the fun of it. Instead of speculating about it all week and uh, you know just thinking we know what's going to happen, we watch them on Saturday and Sunday and see what actually happens. That will do it for today. Chris Hine will be on Wednesday's show. Timberwolves Media Day was Monday. A lot of really interesting content that came from that, so I want to talk to Chris about all of that, maybe play some audio from it as well. So look forward to that on Wednesday. Great stuff coming up later in the week as well. Thanks for joining me today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We'll see you again on Wednesday.